invite you to turn with me in your ESV Bible or find the passage printed for you in your bulletin. This morning we're going to continue in our series on the life of David. We will look at 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, the first 14 verses. And this sermon focuses on David, a man after God's own heart. But here today we see a very important part of what that really means. And it's confession. Since our time together last week in worship, David has moved on from simply sleeping with Bathsheba. He has coveted another man's wife. Yes, he has then committed with adultery, committed adultery with her, but he continues on in that sin. He attempts at covering up his crimes. We saw that last week partly. He induces uh, Uriah. He, he tries to persuade him to go down to Bathsheba, but Uriah refuses, for that would be an unholy thing. And so he then turns to slightly more devious methods. He sends Uriah away back to the front, and in his very own hand, he sends a letter with him, commanding his officers above him to put him in the front, and further still, to withdrew the troops from him so that he would be vulnerable and unprotected. And this is a sure death sentence, and we see in the few verses before our passage that is indeed what happens. Uriah indeed dies, and after this murder, David sends for Bathsheba to make her his wife. And after all of that, the final words of chapter 11, but the thing that David did displeased the Lord. How then, after all of this, could David still be a man after God's own heart? Well, let us turn our attention to God's Word, and I will pray for our time together. But Lord, we come to You, and we indeed confess our own sin, for we know You not rightly as we ought, nor do we obey You rightly as we should. So we pray that You would forgive us, and we ask specifically that Your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to Your Word, that You might show us our sin, that we indeed would turn from it and look upon Christ, who is the Lamb, greater than all of our sin. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for our good. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'll read our passage for us beginning in the first verse of Second Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing you did. I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. For you did it secretly, but I will do it before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who was born to you shall die. When I was a, a bit younger, I still like to think of myself as pretty young, but when I was a bit younger uh, and a lot more active, folks used to marvel at my stature, not because I was great of stature, but They couldn't understand how I remained relatively slender and yet ate as much as I did. Uh, You see, I used to eat a lot, and that's probably more of a confession than something to revel in. Uh, In fact, uh, when I was in my heyday and was uh, playing multiple sports in school, etc., etc., there was often times when I didn't have the luxury of going home to a a wonderful meal with my parents. Now, my mother would have been pleased to do that, but sometimes practice gets out at 7 or 7.30, sometimes even later, especially if it was a game night or a a meet for track. And so I would just, being famished that I was, swing by McDonald's like a young teenager, and I would sometimes even get three double cheeseburgers and a large fry. Now, some of you might be wondering, why in the world would anyone eat that much? Was he, was he prepping for a, a competitive eating competition? Or some of you might be wondering, why would anybody put that kind of food in their body anyway? I don't really have answers for either of those. But I use this illustration this morning to, to show you all as a confession that we do have sinful issues in our life. And part of mine was overeating. Now, I could lost past it in my youth and say, well, you know, I grew up, I was the youngest of four, so I had to eat very quickly, you know, I had to, I had to eat uh, and, and get the food before my siblings could take it from me, and so often I would eat too much, um, but, you know, that's not really an excuse, and I became keenly aware of this uh, even as I got older. I was a few years ago at the Scottish Highland Games in Greenville, and it was a part of their pre-med program. They had several things uh, on display as you walk in and you know they were giving everybody that year a bottle of water saying you know stay hydrated you need to remain healthy you're going to be outside in the sun and they had little uh, pocket sized sunscreens you know make sure you take care of your skin and kind of the last thing as you were going in uh, because by that point you, you could smell 
you know, the turkey legs wafting uh, towards you. They had a little, you know, brochure about dieting and had some placards along the walkway. Uh, you know, make sure you don't overeat. Uh, only take in as many calories as you plan on, uh, you know, expending that day, those kinds of things. But the last one really got me. It said, you know, remember it takes your brain about 12 minutes to process the fact that you're full, that you've had enough to eat. And I thought, ah, I finally have my excuse. It was my family's fault all these years. I had to eat so quickly. I didn't know how much I could, you know, really take in and be filled. But that's, that's just a lie. I just love eating, and I've eaten too much all of my life and eaten too quickly, and I've tried uh, doggedly to, to curve that. But, you know, as silly as that may be, I'm going to use that as an illustration to, to understand a little more of the life of David. That's a seemingly more innocent sin. Uh, but it's the same as David's sin. Uh, and here's why. Let's look at our text uh, this morning. Before we go very far at all, we see right from the beginning, the first sentence, we cannot get past this sentence without understanding the gospel. We, we should not overlook it. Let the, the last words of chapter 11 ring in your ear for a moment. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. You see, already, beloved, we see that, that God pursues His people even in His displeasure. That God comes after His people in faithfulness to His covenant. Even though David has sinned and sinned greatly against God. The Lord is the one who comes after us. The one who pursues us. And we've seen that throughout this whole sermon series We've seen that the Lord is the one who comes and seeks David out, who anoints him as king to be a prince over all his people. We see as God makes a covenant with David that Yahweh himself will make you a home. We see that God is the one who moves first, that initiates, and that despite his good and just displeasure over David's sin, the Lord pursues him. This should remind us even of Adam and Eve in the garden. They have just sinned, done that which is evil in the sight of God, and yet God comes after them. Where are you? Pursuing them in grace and in love. So over against David's abandonment of God's holy word, his despising of the word as we will see, we are witness to, to Yahweh's faithfulness to pursue his people. David doesn't deserve this. God is pleased to do it even though he's displeased with David. And we can't get past the first verse without already understanding that God is gracious. But we notice even further than this that the thing that the Lord sends ultimately is his word. Now in the Old Testament, yes, Nathan is a prophet who's the one who goes forth. But that is essentially synonymous with the word of God. That He brings the presence of God. He brings the authoritative Word into David's life or into the people of Israel, into their midst. And we see this very clearly in the second part of our passage. We'll get to in a moment in verse 7. It says, Thus saith the Lord. That's repeated again later. So we, we have to understand that God sends Nathan graciously to David, but it's really God sending His Word, sending His presence to David. So what does he bring? Uh, well, it's a parable. 
It's very much like the way Jesus teaches and admonishes his own disciples. Nathan comes to David and says, David, let me tell you a story. There are two men in a certain city. One was very rich and had everything that he needed. Abundant wealth. Many flocks and herds, our text says. The other was a poor man. He had but what one little lamb. And there came a traveler into their midst. What did the rich man do? He didn't take out of the abundance of what God had already given him, what he could easily spare. He took the poor man's only lamb, the one that was cherished, the one that was precious, even like a member of his own family. He stole it from him. He killed it and prepared it for the traveler. We see what a tale of horrible injustice and David's anger. His passions are incited and they are boiling red hot, even to the point of condemning this man. This man deserves to die. That's David's indignation coming forth. Now we should pause for an interesting point here. That's not really what the man deserved. The Old Testament tells us very clearly if someone steals a lamb, they repay it fourfold. That's Exodus 22. But we see David's passion kindled here. Back to justice. Back to the Word of God. David is knowing of God's Word. We shouldn't miss that fact either. We could think, for instance, that we have sinned ignorantly. Well, I didn't know the rules. I didn't see the sign that said, beware the dog. It's not really my fault. No, no, no. David knows God's Word. He quotes it. He quotes. After he gets a little overzealous in his justice and his his indignation, he says he shall restore the lamb fourfold. He's quoting Exodus 22, verse 1, right there. He knows God's Word. We see then this great incongruity with David's zeal, his passion for justice, his passion for God's Word, and his ability to obey God's Word. They don't match up. It teaches us a little bit about our own sin. How often can we be zealous for the right things without actually obeying God's Word? Obeying what we already know to be true. And ironically then, the point here in this passage is David, unlike this man in the parable, is deserving of death. The punishment for his crimes are death by the sword. He has put Uriah to death. He has committed adultery with another man's wife. Both capital punishments in the Old Testament. And yet he's so zealous for the law of this this misdemeanor, as it were. But we go on. Now in my overeating, I think part of that is, you know, I I could cast it off, yes, and say, well, it was part of my upbringing. I had to eat very quickly. I didn't know how to eat slowly and recognize how much I was full. But I think it really was from much more than that. I think it was much more akin to David and his sin. And that's this, that you know, a gluttonous stomach always stems from an insatiable heart. I always wanted more. 
I love food. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. But just like the love of money, that can consume you. I take great pleasure in sitting down for a wonderful meal, but I need to remember that God provides my daily bread. And like the Old Testament Israelites, I don't need to amass more manna than I need for one day. It will only spoil and go bad. It's my insatiable heart that is the problem. That I always want more. One meal is never good enough. I need just a little bit more. One more plate. One more helping. The real issue is that I don't trust God to provide. As David does, in my own pride, I seek out my own will that that I would do what I want to do. Rather than meaning the prayer that that I say before every meal, Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for our daily bread. The Lord's Prayer we've already said this morning. Thank you for what you provide. Instead, I say, thank you for what you've given me, but but I need just a little bit more. I I want just a little bit more. I can't get enough of this taste or this pleasure. So Nathan looks David square in the eye and says, David, you are the man. There's no escaping the indictment here. There's no escaping the conviction in our sin. Our passions have been kindled up within us like David's. We seek justice. We already know God's Word. Many of you here know the Word of God even better than I do. We know the Word of God. But does our passion for the Word match our passion for obedience? The conviction of our sin. David, you are the robber of sheep. Your insatiable desires have led you to this condemning act. But we need to notice what immediately follows Nathan's accusation. It's not, peculiarly, it's not a listing of David's sins. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, David, you are the man. You killed Uriah. You slept with Bathsheba. You stole her. What does he say? Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives and your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. You see what he's saying? The indictment is not necessarily about those particular sins that David struggled with, the murder, the adultery. It's not necessarily about my overeating, my gluttony. It's about the heart of the matter. David, if that were not enough, then you would ask and I would be pleased to grant it. Look, I have anointed you king. I've given you a house. I've made you ruler over all Israel and Judah. Why would you not think that I would give you as much more? It's David's own insatiable appetite that leads him to discontentment, that leads him to being unsatisfied. And it ultimately stems from a distrust in Yahweh, the God who who does keep covenant. And notice what Nathan says 
He says the real reason behind all of this, what's, what's driving your discontentment, your unsatisfaction, look at verse 9. It's because you've despised the word of the Lord. You do not trust what God has already told you, what God has already done for you. Beloved, how often is that true of our own hearts? We know the word of God. And yet we need preachers each and every week. And that doesn't change for us. We need the word of God as well. We need it each and every week to remind us. Lest we be like David and we despise the word of God. We do what is evil in his sight. You'll remember one of the points that I noted last week was that when David looks and espies Bathsheba, it says that she was pleasing to the eyes. What do we see here? David follows through with that sin. And now we see that the end result is that it ends up being evil in the sight of God's eyes. This is the same transaction of Adam and Eve in the garden. It's the age-old sin. It's the same sin in our heart. We look upon something and the Lord says we shall not do it. But we see that it's pleasing to the eye, just like Eve And we do that thing, but it ends up being evil in the sight of God's eyes. And notice, when he does get to the actual sins, the Lord pulls no punches here. He goes right for the juggler. David, you struck down Uriah. He doesn't say you had him struck down. He he places the blame squarely on David. You can't... You can't you know, blame other people for your sin, Philip. You can't look at your family and say, well, they didn't teach you how to eat right. It's your own problem. And that's true of our hearts just as it's true of David's. You struck down Uriah. You have taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the Amorites. And he goes on to give some of the consequences. Verses 10 through 12, he says that, The sword will never depart from your house. And he even will raise up evil within his own house so that his neighbor would take his wives and would sleep with them in the sight of the sun. Now, I'm not going to go into this. We don't have much time. But suffice it to say, this is not the Lord condoning such actions like taking women as property or if you want to call it rape or unjustified sexual relations. That's not the point of the passage But the point of the passage is to show us that unlike David, who squares up the crime, the punishment that doesn't fit the crime, God deals justly with His people. And He says, you did this thing in secret and tried to cover and hide your sins, but I will do it in the sight of all Israel. And that's what we see in 2 Samuel 16. A few chapters later, Absalom, his own son, raises up in his house. And he says, I'm going to take all of my father's women. And I'm going to pitch a tent on the roof. And I will shame him in the sight of all Israel. We see the depravity, the sinfulness of the father being passed on to the son. It doesn't just affect David. It affects his whole house. It affects everything that he does. i got to tell you, brothers and sisters, that's depressing. There there is no, up to this point, silver lining. 
The Lord is dealing justly with sin and putting it away from him. He's showing David that it's a serious crime to transgress his law, to despise the word, to trust not in your own understanding. That's that's the flip. David was trusting in his own understanding and not in the Lord. But we also, beloved, need to come and to hear the gospel this morning. Just as God pursues David. We see that in verse 1. Look at verse 13. The second part of the verse says, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. That is nothing but mercy. David absolutely deserves death. He deserves capital punishment for his sins. And yet, Nathan tells him, God has put away your sin. But we need to notice that we don't get to the second half of 13 without the first half of the verse. David's confession. He looks in the mirror and he says, You're right, Nathan. I am the man. I have sinned against the Lord. We see it more fully fleshed out in Psalm 51, which we'll sing in a moment. Against you and you only have I sinned. Lord, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Take away my transgressions. Beloved, we need to confess our sin. Each and every one of us here today is a sinner. Not you've sinned five years ago. Not you sinned when you were a little kid. Not you sinned a long time ago. You are a sinner. And you need to confess. I need to confess. We have the weight of conviction upon us even in our hearing of this passage today. But beloved, don't miss the gospel. God is ready to put away your sins. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall not die. This is the Word of God. This is the promise of the Gospel. And do you notice the beautiful imagery that Nathan uses in his indictment? It's the picture of a lamb being slain. It's a precious lamb. One like a member of the family. Don't you see? This is the Lord Jesus Christ. But unlike the rich man who so covetously takes what he has not from the poor man, God freely gives up His Son to you and me. His only Son. His beloved, precious Son. That's the Lamb who would take away the sins of the world. That's how He puts away sin. But you see, we need to confess. We are deserving of God's wrath. We do not deserve. But God in His great pleasure is pleased to place upon Jesus what we deserve so that we can escape death. Jesus is the true Lamb. And we need to remember then as we move forward, as we look to our lives to apply this, if God did not spare His own Son, how will He not graciously with Him give us all things that we need? You see, that, that is the key to repentance, to true confession, 
and turning aside from our sin, to remember that God will graciously give us all things. God will provide. God is good to his word. Even if we despise it, like King David, we simply confess and come back to him. Lord, forgive me. I have not trusted in your provision. I have been gluttonous in my overeating. You know, even just yesterday, I'll confess to you, I ate at one of my favorite breakfast places. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. I don't want to give them a bad rap because their food's so good. But I ate way too much. Probably enough to be counted as two meals. And I felt horrible for most of the day. And you know, I say that somewhat in jest, but in all sincerity. Don't you see what's going on? Look at the last verse. David, the child born to you, will surely die. Even after his confession, even after the provision of grace and mercy, ultimately as we know in the Lord Jesus Christ, that David's sin is placed upon him and the blessing of life is placed upon David that he can continue being a man after God's own heart. Even after that, there are consequences with our sin that we must deal with. I still struggle with my sinful flesh and you will as well. But our confession that leads to repentance, that leads to right living, is to remember that God is a keeper of His Word. That God will provide the Lamb, just as He did with Abraham and Isaac. That God and the Lord Jesus Christ is pleased to come to you, and if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to cleanse you, and heal you from all your unrighteousness. But do not be mistaken like the world. There's no forgiveness without a confession of your sin. Brothers and sisters, that's the weight upon us this morning. Don't miss the gospel, but don't forget the confession. Let's pray. Lord our God, we come.